This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Colton, in case you don't know, Colton's, he's five. He was diagnosed with leukemia when he was two. So he's leaving this one day from Radius Hospital after one of those painful treatments, and he's out there in the front of the hospital, and he looks up at his mom, and he says, Mommy, why did God give me cancer? That's an interesting question. Why did, no, no, no. He didn't say, Mommy, why did I get cancer? He didn't say that. He said, Mommy, why did God give me cancer? Now, was interesting, a couple of things interesting about what he said. First of all, he was saying, there's no second causes in life. I mean, it's not because I have a gene, a bad gene. It's not because I was exposed to this chemical that I got cancer. It's not because of this radiation exposure, if it ever happened, that I got cancer. No, but God gave me cancer, he was saying. Why did God give me cancer? Not why do I have this gene, why did I? Why did God give me cancer? It's a good question. Job asked that question too. Job asked that question. He saw all he lost and he didn't say, well, you know, it was the Sabaeans, it was the Chaldeans, it was the wind, it was the, where are the bunch of them? Anyways, all of the fire. He didn't say that. He said in Job 121, Job 121, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. He said his wife was way out of line And so he was setting her straight. Yeah, good luck, husband, setting a wife straight. Anyway, so he was trying, and he said uh, in Job 2.10, Job 2.10, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? What's he saying, Job? What are you saying? Job is saying, I'm saying that we receive evil from the hand of God, from the hand of God. Now, I don't pretend to know the answer to Colton's question, why did God give me cancer? I don't. But one thing I do know is that because Colton has gone through this, he will have a special sympathy and a compassion for those who suffer. Just like these two men 
who didn't say, have mercy on me, but have mercy on us. The one was thinking of the other, and the other was thinking of him. And that's what suffering does. So these two blind men, they're crying after Jesus all the way, and finally he addresses them, and he's walking all this distance, I don't know how far it was, and walking out, and crying out continually, son of David, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And it says in verse 28, when he was come into the house. So it's in that house that he finally speaks to them. And that's not how the Lord responded to the lepers. It's immediately replied to them. That's not how the Lord responded to Jairus. He immediately got up and went with Jairus. But this is what the Lord did to these blind men. He didn't respond to them all along the way until they got to the house and followed him to the house. And after all, it wasn't easy. These are blind men having to follow him all the way there. So why did he do it? Why did he make them follow him all the way into the house? Well, one reason is that it just strengthened their faith, made their faith strong. It made, the, it made their resolve firm. And that's important. That's important. It's important to be built up to say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. That's important. So the delay helps us to also understand why it can be in our case that we don't get an immediate answer to prayer, but that there's a delay in God answering our prayers, which can be very frustrating, and we can be saying, the heavens are brass, the heavens are brass, but God has a purpose. God had a purpose in not responding immediately to these blind men. God has a purpose in delaying and answering prayer. But another reason was that when the Lord finally did speak with them, they were kind of private, out of the crowds, at least all around, kind of like a more private meeting between the blind men and this one. It was this the Lord wanted this to be, a private meeting, just between each of them. I really do believe it was that way because after he healed them, he said, see that you tell no man. That would have made no sense if there was a bunch of people around him when he healed their eyes. So he wanted to get them out of the public and into a private place. He didn't want it to be a public healing. Why not? Why not? Why didn't he want it to be a public healing? Well, we can get an insight into the answer to that question when we consider what the Lord did when there was 5,000 men, not counting women and children, listening to him one day, and he fed them, as recorded in John 6.10, John 6.10. And Jesus said, make the men sit down, and there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. 
So here's this crowd of 5,000 men, we can assume that with the women and children, over 10,000 people, they're all hungry. The Lord feels the pain of their hunger. The Lord doesn't want to send them away hungry because he's concerned they might faint along the way as they're going back home. So he takes these few barley loaves of bread, a few fish, fishes there, and he gives thanks for that small amount and he starts to distribute to the disciples and the disciples start to distribute to the people and, the, and it keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and no one is noticing it. He's giving this piece and, and oh, I thought it was the last one. No, there's another one and it just keeps going on and on. As they're distributing, it is being, it is being multiplied and the people are eating and eating and eating and they're eating so much they're wasting it, it's falling on the ground. The bread and the fishes are falling on the ground to the extent where the Lord said, go gather that stuff up. And they fill 12 baskets. And we can imagine when the people looked at that and they said, what happened? Just a few barley loaves and it started to sink in. And then the Lord saw a great danger, a great danger. Because they were so excited. He saw the people were so excited at the discovery of Jesus, the food multiplier, that they were thinking, they go, well, we can take him by force and make him a king. And, he can, and the food multiplier can be the Roman destroyer. And he can destroy all the Romans here and, 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 and overthrow them and we'll be free. And the Lord saw this starting to happen. He, he saw the crowds gathering and, and talking among themselves and, and their intention and how they were getting close to move toward grabbing him and say, you will be our king. And so fearing this, he leaves immediately the crowd of 10,000. He goes up into a mountain alone, not even with his disciples, alone. And that gives us an insight into why the Lord would not heal these blind men publicly. The Lord was just trying to avoid these great public excitement, the people rushing to make, the, to make decisions to follow him based on the excitement of the day, based on the second ground where the seed fell into having not much earth in it and the plant sprung up immediately but had no depth of earth and when the wind came, like the trials and temptations, it withered away because it had no depth of root. He didn't want that. He wants his followers not to be caught up in the excitement of the moment. He wants his followers to make a certain, calm, collected, personal decision to follow him without any influence from others. And it just would have created too much of a stir if the Lord had healed those blind men publicly. So he comes into the house, and the blind men follow him to the house, and they come up to the Lord, and the Lord then asks them a question. At this point, we would have imagined that the Lord might have asked the question, like, well, what, what would you like me to do for you? Or, or perhaps... Uh, do you, do you believe that I really am the son of David? You've been calling me the son of David. Do you really believe I am the son of David? Or maybe, do you believe I'm the Messiah? Do you believe the Messiah? Or do you believe that I'm God, who's come as a man to the earth? Would he, maybe the Lord would have asked him all those theological questions, all those doctrinal questions, all those statement of faith questions. But he doesn't. He doesn't say, what's your statement of faith about me? The Lord didn't ask any of those questions. He just asked if they, were, if they believed that he was able to obviously give them sight. As a matter of fact, no one has even said anything about giving them sight. They didn't even specifically ask the Lord to give them their sight. They were just saying, 
they were asking for mercy. They were saying, you're the son of David, have mercy on us. But the Lord heard their heart, heart cry. And he heard their heart cry was that, I no longer want to be blind. I no longer want to be blind. He heard the cry of their heart without them verbally saying exactly what they wanted him to do. And when we see that, that's very encouraging for us. Why? Because sometimes when our hearts are broken and all we can do is come to the Lord and just say like those blind men, have mercy, have mercy on me, have mercy on us, that's enough. Because the Lord hears the cry of the heart. He hears that. The heart cry can be the, 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 can be the, the substance of what is referred to in Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26, which says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. That's what that's saying. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And when we don't know how to pray and we don't know what to pray for, that's okay. Because the Spirit of God takes over from there and helps, helps us by praying for us. It's like the Spirit of God takes our hard cries like rough drafts, like a rough draft, and he rewrites it, he transcribes it into a beautiful finished draft that he presents to the Father for us. He presents it, he makes intercession for us. So all those men said was, have mercy on us. And the Lord knew what they meant. Now, we read something like this, we cannot help but to compare these two blind men with another blind man named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was healed by the Lord, but it was a little different in Mark 10, 46. Mark 10, 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out to Jericho with the disciples and a great number of people, Blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried out the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good cheer, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Now, seems almost strange. Several things seem strange, but it seems almost strange. The question that the Lord asked Bartimaeus, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? He's blind. It's obvious he's blind. You could have asked anybody else, what do you think I should do to him? They would have said, he's blind. Give him his sight. But Bartimaeus said the same thing to the Lord that those other two men said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me, he said, because he was alone. But then the Lord asked Bartimaeus what he wanted him to do for him. In essence, the Lord asked blind Bartimaeus really the same question because the Lord saw Bartimaeus, he had a heart like the father of the sick boy. Bartimaeus' heart was like the father of that sick boy 
who came to the Lord in Mark 9.21, Mark 9.21, where it says the Lord asked the Father. He asked the Father, how long ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, and oftentimes he hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father and child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So blind Bartimaeus, he really had this heart in him of if thou canst do anything, help me. And Bartimaeus needed to be prodded out of that, that state of if you can heal me, that position, if you can heal me, into a position of, I believe you can heal me. And that's what that was all about. But what we learned from this is that the issue is whether or not there's a conviction in the person that the Lord is able to heal. That's the issue. And the issue is, is whether a person really does believe. Ephesians 3.20, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so these two blind men, they answered the Lord with an affirmative, yea, Lord. He asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they answered. And now we see how the Lord heals their blindness. It was by touching their eyes. Like when the Lord healed the leper, he touched the leper to heal him. This is so dramatic. I mean, here are these two blind men, and they're asking, all they're asking for is for the Lord just restore the sight, and the Lord could have just spoken a word, and they would have been healed. But no, the Lord gets close to them, gets so close that he reaches out his hands, and he touches their eyes with his hands. He could have just spoken a word. He could have spoken a word to that leper, but oh no. He gets close to the leper as everybody holds their breath in suspense, and he touches, he's not really gonna do that, is he? The untouchable, and he touches them. And that woman could have been healed from a distance, but she said, I've gotta to touch. I've gotta to touch his clothes. And so she got close, reached out her hand, and he touched. He could have just stood out there like he did with Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. He could have done that with Jairus' daughter. He could have, but no. He reaches out his hand, he takes the hand of the 12-year-old girl, and he raises her from the dead. Why? Why in all of these cases was it so important for the Lord to not remain socially distant, but to get close, to get close, so close to these people that he touches them? It's so important. Why? For two reasons. First, it was important for the Lord. Second, it was important for the person who was being healed. Why was it important for the Lord? Because the way the Lord healed them and the way the Lord heals us from the diseases of our soul is described in Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath carried our sorrows, borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. That means that when the Lord heals, he takes on himself our griefs and our sorrows, and that's the emphasis there. He, he, surely he hath borne 
as in he himself, or his very self, Mark 8, 17, Mark 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, what we just quoted, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. This is what Peter emphasizes in 1 Peter 2, 24. 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So that's how the Lord, the Lamb of God, taketh away the sin of the world. From John 1.29, John 1.29, Jesus, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. How? How does the Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world? By bearing the sins on himself. That's what he does. That's why it was so important for the Lord to touch those that he was healing, because it shows he was healing them by taking on the grief and the sorrow of the blindness, the grief and the sorrow of the leprosy, the grief and the sorrow of the flow of blood, the grief and the sorrow of death. And so it was, the deteriorating, he touches the deteriorating skin of the leper. He touches, the, the, the bleeding woman touches his clothes, the the, the, he touches the dead body of the 12-year-old girl. He touches the blindness of the eyes. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, Hebrews says. And his touch was important because it sent that message that he was taking sins on him. It was so important also for those who were, who were healed that they should realize that this is not just a short encounter with the Lord. This is not a touch and go affair. This is, not a, this is not a touch and walk away experience. It was the beginning of a new life, of a life of a long, close relationship with the Lord. You know, there's kind of a misconception of uh, knocking on a door and one, two, three, repeat after me, now you're saved, you're going your merry way, I go on my way, you go on your way. That's kind of a misconception is that it's just a short come to Jesus and then go on as before. Because that's not what salvation is. Salvation is Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's like salvation. It's just like the hymn says. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him, no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for all eternity. So he touches the eyes of the blind people, blind men there. And then as he's touching their blind eyes, he says in verse 29, then touch ye their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. He didn't say eyes be open. He didn't say see but he put the emphasis back on them. And what they believed, it was like he was saying, look, the measurement of your healing is gonna be determined by how much you believe. Almost as if to say, if you believe that I can heal one eye, then I'll heal one eye and not both eyes. You call it, and that's what you'll get. And the Lord made their healing dependent on what they believed. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.